0: Pastor Xavier Reese illustrates God's love is as consistent as His judgment is sure. No one will ever
1: stand before God and say, you didn't give me a chance. No one will be able to stand before God and say, it was unfair. And along with your salvation, He has said, I have given to you everything to live out life victoriously. That doesn't mean without pain. That doesn't mean without difficulty. That doesn't mean without struggle. It means you will overcome
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You've heard it said that when a man points a finger at someone else, he should remember that three of his fingers are pointing back at himself. Perhaps a fitting illustration for the time of the prophet Malachi, when the nation of Israel was too hung up about the corrupt priests that they failed to recognize their own problems of hypocrisy, infidelity, divorce, and false worship. And as Pastor Xavier continues our Simple Truth Study series in the book of Malachi, we'll see God's love in action by breaking through barriers of disbelief, disappointment, and discouragement. Let's listen.
1: Have you ever attempted to show a person their need of repentance because of their personal lifestyle and your desires for them to turn? But try as you may, they, they can't see their sin or their need for repentance and they're indifferent. And as you see that response from them, the next thing you do is you resort to show them their need of repentance in view of the Lord's soon return to judge. This is the picture of Malachi. In the first two chapters, he has proclaimed repentance in view of their present sinful lifestyle. They've been sarcastic, indifferent, blind to their sin. Not having heeded to repentance, in chapters 3 and 4, then he approaches and attempts to turn them from their sin, and he proclaims repentance in view of God's coming to judge. For remember that he finished chapter 2 with their sarcastic remark, Where is the God of justice? As if God condoned and approved of their sinful lifestyle. Or, worse yet, that just because God had not judged them that, that meant that God was indifferent to sin and He would never judge. That is the philosophy of many today, that because God has not wiped them out, or God has not returned to judge the world as they have heard through their parents, their grandparents and through preachers, that that is the ultimate evidence that He's not coming, how foolish. You know, they held the same philosophy in the days of Noah. Noah said it's going to rain. They said, what, Noah? What's rain? Because remember, it hadn't rained up to that point. And I'm sure as Noah began to say, well, there's these, you know, it's like uh, water drops coming out of the sky. And the whole world's going to flood. Because they never had seen it. They didn't believe it. Because God has not come to judge, many people take that as the evidence that he's not coming to judge. How foolish. When you live in eternity, what is time to you? But here's man, he lives in a very small section of all eternity. Uh, Even if you live to 100 years, how do you compare that to eternity? And so here we are in this generation, we occupy a very small space in time, a very small space in history, and we come to conclusions about all the history and all the times of man because we are so wise. Thinking that all the answers are given to us within our own lifetime and by the evidence that we have around us. How foolish that is. Malachi gives to us three sins which God Himself charges His people with in view of His coming. And we find those in verses 6 through 15 And again, it's in this dialogue back and forth. God is the speaker. He's back in the first person. He's the one that's charging them. He's the one that's confronting them. He's the one that's pursuing them. Let me read the text. And so you get the connection from verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. He has declared the messenger to come, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ in his first coming. And he milks this in and blends the second coming also as evidence that he will come to judge. His first coming was to judge sin on the cross so that you might not have to pay the price of sin. And then he blends in the second coming when he will come to judge and he will be a swift witness against them, against the sorcerer, the adulterer, the perjurer, all who exploit, the widow, the fatherless. And the reason for that is because They do not fear me. Mark that well. Get a concordance and look up the phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. The first step, the second, and the third step. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. When you lose the fear of the Lord, be careful. You will be open to give yourself to things that you never thought you would ever give yourself to. You lose the fear of God, People say, well, you know, in the Hebrew, I mean, the English explains it perfectly. Fear means fear. You fear him. I think sometimes we know so much Greek and Hebrew, we don't understand English. It means fear. You remember fearing your dad when you were little? Why did you fear him? Because he could beat you. That's Why? Well, this is the idea too. Not that God is some cantankerous man that is looking to beat you, but he's more powerful and he's in control and no one can escape him if you choose to rebel against him. That's the basic idea. And on the other side, there's that loving reverence of him because of who he is. You feared your father, but you also respected and loved him for who he was and what he did for you. And There's that combination of the two that we see towards God. Now he says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet for the days of your, from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. Yes, those who tempt God go free. The first sin that Malachi reveals to us is found in verses 6 and 7. They were disobedient to walk. In God's Word. Very basic. To those that much is given, much is required. You receive something, you will be held accountable for it. They were disobedient to walk in God's Word. This speaks of their character, their heart, their inner attitude and reality. Many are caught up with a reputation. A reputation has to do with what people think about you. How people view you. And men and women will do anything to get a reputation. But you may have a reputation without any concern for your character. Today, people don't care about character. The believers to care about character. If you never get a reputation in this world, that's okay. But God calls you to have character, what you really are inside. Because you're not here to please men, neither am I. And if you're always striving to please man, you know what? You will do anything to make sure that you are acknowledged and you are applauded and that you are thought of as well. The Pharisees were good at this, outwardly. And Jesus rebuked them. You and I as believers are to be concerned about character. That The work of the Spirit of God is going on inside me and hopefully it's evident outside of me. But whether people acknowledge the outward manifestation or not is irrelevant to me. My concern is that God sees my character, who I really am in Christ Jesus. Notice the duration of their disobedience is from the days of their fathers in verse 7. You have gone away from my ordinance. They chose to rebel against God's word. You have gone away. That's a decision. You and I choose to walk towards God or to walk away from God. To walk in his word or to not walk in his word. Every day you and I get that chance. Today you and I will get all kinds of opportunities to make that decision. Whether we will walk in obedience to God's word or disobedience. In our attitude, in our actions, in our response to our situations or circumstances, to somebody who's gonna run you off the freeway when you get on there, when you leave here. Am I saying that I never get in the flesh? No, I'm not saying that. But God gives us a test all the time. Thursday night, I'm walking out of here. The guy's just so good. He's just doing such a work around here. He's doing a work in my heart. And I'm walking just elated to the parking lot. I want to get in my car. I'm just praising God. I look over and some nitwit has sprayed our our parking lot signs with graffiti. Now, you want to see your pastor in the flesh. (laughs) Out of the spirit into the flesh instantly. (laughs) Amen. That brings right back. Okay, Lord, it's your parking lot. Clean it up. You have not kept them. They chose to disobey God's word. They not only chose to rebel against God's word, as going away, but not to keep them, to disobey. You see, when you start walking away from something, already there's there's a whole setting of character to not even acknowledge. You have the knowledge, but there's no effort, no intent to obey that. From the days of Moses, even from Mount Sinai, even before when they left Egypt in the Exodus, they were rebelling, murmuring, melons, leeks, give us all this, you bring us to kill us. Moses is up there getting the law, and they're down there having a sexual party. They had broken the law before it was even given to them. God brought them into the promised land. They said, oh no, there's so many big men there and and there's some walled cities. We can't go in there. So God made them wander for 40 years. He says, you guys are afraid about your kids? Well, fine, your kids will inherit it. You'll die in the wilderness. And they thought that they knew better than God. Notice the declaration of God is repent in verse 7 also. The plea is, return to me. That's what the word implies. Repent. Repent. To change your mind, to change your direction, come back to me. The promise and I will return to you. I'm amazed at God of his patience and his love towards us. He's always pursuing us. Remember Jonah. Jonah has made a very uh, strong impact in my life since we've studied him a very strong impact about God's love, about God's pursuit of His people over and over and over again. God says here, you know, if you will turn, then I promise I will return to you. God's graciousness, remember with Jonah, He's the loving God, gracious, merciful, willing to forgive. That's why Jonah didn't want to go. He knew his God. That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he knew that if the Ninevites repented, God would repent also. And how God deals with us is about repenting. But you know what's there is our pride and, and so many different things. And we have so many excuses. Go, Lord, I can't this and that. And you know, he doesn't even bother hearing us. And after we get through all the whole thing, then he turns to us and says, Now, you want to really talk about the issues? I mean, he gets right down to the nitty gritty. I will return to you. It isn't Malachi speaking, for look at this person speaking. The Lord of hosts. The term appears 24 times in Malachi. It means the captain of the Lord of the armies of heaven. The guy who can wipe you out is pleading with you. (laughs) Now, you should thank God I'm not God. And I should thank God that you're not God. Because we would not plead with each other. Not the way God pleads with us. Yet He does. Because He loves us. Repentance has already been offered in chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 16. Once again, He offers repentance. The declaration of man is depraved. The end of verse 7. In what way shall we return? Here it is. They've got, they've got mud all over their face. You ever bust your kids as a parent? You're hearing this noise in the bedroom and little Johnny's jumping back and forth from bed to bed. Boing, 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 boing. And so you, you open the door and you catch him in midair and he goes. <laughs> and poof, he crashes. He says, what are you doing? he says, What? What? Busted. And he still has the nerve to say, I didn't do nothing. And if his little brothers and their God help him, it's Johnny, he did it. You laugh because you did that to your brother. In what way shall we return? Hmm. They walked so long in the ways of sin, they didn't see evil any longer. You know, you can be in your sin so long that pretty soon you lose the ability to sense the evil. But worse yet, you lose the sense of the destruction to your own life. And yet God wants you and I to turn from it. Life is difficult especially as Christians. But God is good and God is able to equip us for life, pertaining to all things for life and godliness. And we cannot go around excusing ourselves or justifying ourselves or blaming others. Sure, other people are involved, but the basic problem of my life is me. Remember, the middle letter of sin is I. And it's not what everybody else is to be to me, but what am I to be to everybody else? What does God want to do with me, with my life? And as long as I am being obedient to God, then God says, it makes no difference what else anybody does. I will take care of you. But what keeps us from that is that we think that we deserve better. And therefore we get to a point where we get tired of becoming givers and obedient and used and hurt. And we get to the point where we start becoming bitter towards God and we'll see that towards the end. And it goes from people to God. And we put them both together. They saw no need of repentance because they couldn't see the evil they were in. But notice the revelation of God's consistency in verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. This is called the immutability of God, a big theological word for one of God's attributes, which means that He is unable to change. He doesn't increase. He doesn't decrease. He's constant. You go to the ocean, pick up a little cup of water, or a little thimble, and you take out water, you've just decreased the Pacific Ocean. But God cannot decrease all the grace that He gives out. He never decreases in grace. He never increases. He doesn't increase or decrease in knowledge and power or anything. He's constant. Because He's the ultimate of perfection. And so God cannot lie. He's not a man. The book of Hebrews says, by two immutable things, God has promised. He cannot lie. He's God. And so God here really declares directly to them that because he is the Lord and he doesn't change, that's the only reason they're still around. <laughs> in what way is he consistent towards Israel? First, his love for them. Remember, we went over Deuteronomy. I love you. I have put my love upon you. Why? Because they were more in number? No. Because they were better than the other people? No. As a matter of fact, he told them, when I give you the promised land, you walk in there and you see your barns full and all these cities and everything else, don't think it's because you're more righteous. As a matter of fact, I only gave you the lamb because I love you and you're, more, you're less wicked than the ones I'm going to kick out. And so it's consistent love. Remember the book of Hosea? Hosea's wife, Gomer, the perfect illustration and type of Israel and there Hosea type of God. In spite of her adulterous relationship, in spite of her rebellion, God says, take her back, go buy her out of the slave market, bring her back, sanctify her unto you. Now you're mine. That's God's constant Picture of love for Israel and his people. But also his consistency in the covenant. He made a covenant with Israel. He cannot lie. And therefore, he pursued his remnant. And his consistency in hating sin. And for that reason, he says, you are not wiped out, Jacob. Because of my love and in his love you have his mercy, his compassion, and his, always has access to repentance through blood and to get right with him. How many of us would survive if we couldn't get right with God when we blew it? We wouldn't make it. Why are you and I around? Only because of God's immutability. He doesn't change. He's consistent. For this reason, they were not consumed. His provisions? Repentance. His promise? To the remnant. Why? Because God's holier... And have purerized and to behold evil, Habakkuk tells us, chapter 1. He's consistent. He hates sin. And he has to judge it. But he always gives provisions. No one will ever stand before God and say, you didn't give me a chance. No one will be able to stand before God and say, it was unfair. Has God saved you? If God has saved you, he's known everything's going to happen in your life. He knows the difficulties. He knows the tragedies. He knows your emotions. He knows everything. Everything, And along with your salvation, he has said, I have given to you everything to live out life victoriously. That doesn't mean without pain. That doesn't mean without difficulty. That doesn't mean without uh, struggle. It means you will overcome. But remember the formula of Jesus. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's face it, people. I don't like to die to myself. And so I'm living in this kingdom here of man, which says live for yourself. And I'm also in the kingdom of God, which says live for others. And we live in tension, don't we? Sometimes we, we can be so benevolent to others that we barely know. Oh, yes, God bless. Come here. But how about our families? How about our children? How about our parents? How about our wives? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The uttermost parts of the world. That's a table of contents for the believer's life. In every area of life, it begins at home. Very much so. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. And God calls you to decide this morning. What are you going to do?
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with an appropriate challenge to be a consistent example in our own walk of faith on today's Simple Truths. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Now there's much more of this message to come right here next time as well. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Sins of God's People. It's available on CD for just $4. Once again, that title to ask for is The Sins of God's People, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. This information helps us gauge the effectiveness of this radio outreach in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese.